Today's reading, Luke 18, verses 31 through 34. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day he will rise, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he had said. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of God. I have a message today that I've entitled, um, Conquering Shame and Fear. Conquering Shame and Fear. Um, you know, this is a strange time that we're living in. If any of you, some of you joined our, our Good Friday service, and I mentioned that we're living in a time that I, I can't ever really quite ever remember a time like this in American, like it's not in my almost 50 years of being alive. I've, I've, you know, I came to the United States when I was five years old, and um, I've never seen our culture quite like this before, uh, just completely rife with um, shaming and um, using a kind of weapon of righteousness, as I called it on, 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 on Friday, to shame people and um, with the threat of canceling them if they don't conform. And on this day of Easter, I wanted to offer some words from the gospel because I think one of the things that we don't tend to think about in America, because we're a free country, or at least we're supposed to be a free country. And in this country, you're supposed to be able to say what you think. And you're supposed to be able to be an individual and not feel that you always have to conform to some more powerful set of people that say, you have to be like this. If you're not like this, we reject you. And yet, um, we don't normally think about that primarily, I think, when we, especially if you've been a Christian, you know, in America, because that, that idea that you're supposed to conform, otherwise you're threatened with shame and rejection, that isn't something that's something we're used to. And yet... Um, that's deeply a real issue that the gospel addresses, okay? And um, so today, two parts. I'm supposed to be tight today, okay? Um, two parts, rejection and shame in the world, all right? That's part one. Rejection and shame in the world. And part two, resurrection and conquering. Resurrection and conquering. So, this is uh, something that Jesus said, you know, this isn't typically a text, I think, that people uh, preach out of for Resurrection Sunday. But Jesus said to his disciples multiple times, you know what's going to happen to me? The, the, the really powerful, respected people in our society, what they're going to do is they're pretty much, they're going to they're hate me, reject me, mock me, crucify me. I mean, here, Luke 18 is one of those places. 
we're going to go up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man, and, you know, that's, that's me, <laughs> uh, by the prophets will be accomplished. He'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. The most powerful of the Gentiles right now are the Romans. It's the most powerful, the nations. The Gentiles is a, is a term that means the nations among the Jews. This is the most powerful of the Gentiles has ever been up to this point in history. The Son of Man will be mocked shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they'll kill him. So basically saying, that's what's going to happen to me, guys. I know I'm your teacher. You consider me holy. You've watched me uh, make the blind to see. You've watched me have dinner with prostitutes. You've watched literally the dead rise. And you call me your rabbi. You call me your leader. And, um, but this is what's going to happen. And he goes, but on the third day, I'm going to rise. And then this part's really interesting, verse 34. But they didn't understand any of these things. They didn't get it. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. And I think there's a certain amount of that true about us as Christians. Uh, there's just so much about what it means to know Jesus and it's a strange thing. I, I always think that, like, uh, did it have to be this way? <laughs> Salvation has to come where the Son of God is going to be whipped and spit upon and mocked. That has to be part of the deal. And I think if you mostly think that your life is going to be comfortable, at least you're not going to be thrown in jail or you're not going to be hated you're not going to be tortured. You're not going to be rejected uh, just for believing in God. And that's a great, great blessing of America uh, so far. And, um, but even then, here, these guys know that flogging, torture, being spit upon, this is a normal feature of the Roman Empire. Um, people regularly hate each other. This, uh, uh, this is... Um, you know, you, a lot of people want a multi-ethnic society. Well, let me tell you, the Roman, it's not like America's the first time we've ever had, ever had a multi-ethnic society. You get this together, you have competing religions and worldviews, and um, the way the Romans kept the peace, what, the way they kept the peace, uh, they used this tool called crucifixion. And what they did was, we're the wise people. We're the ones that know what it means to be righteous in this time. We're the ones who keep the peace. We help you become rich. We, we know how to do global capitalism. And they really did. They were the first ones to do global capitalism. You think the Romans were successful simply because they were powerful? No. Because they knew how to help people to do trade and, and to get rich and like, okay, do your religion. But if you violate the things that we don't like, we will shame you. We will reject you. We will torture you. And that's what the cross is. That's what the cross is. The idea that the promised anointed one of God would undergo that, that made no sense. And here we are 2,000 years later. The Bible teaches a really important theology of it. But I think we don't really wrestle with the part about rejection 
and shame. I don't think we really know how to wrestle with that. And I want to um, say a little more about that. Now, I want to ask you a question. Right? Um, I don't think anybody, if you ever wakes up and you're going, hey, let's uh, understand that being shamed by other people or being rejected in our society, yeah, that's going to be a part of my life. <laughs> that's what I want. Is that what you want? For those of you who aren't, um, who aren't you know, are regularly a, a part of Revive, we're actually in the middle of a series on suffering and the cross. So this sermon is actually right in the middle of that series. And one of the points I want to make that, that I have been making is that if you are a follower of Jesus, he calls you to pick up your cross. He calls you to suffering. And it is not some kind of like optional feature of what it means to know God, to know the true God and to, to, be, and to be embraced by his salvation. It's right in the center of it. And this is one of these passages. And so, pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. And one of the things I want to offer you today is, he's saying, well, rejection is part of it. The world doesn't like this. The world doesn't like this idea that there's a salvation holy by grace, that there's one God, one salvation. They don't like this idea. And it's unpopular in so many different ways. And so if you follow me, and if you're going to love your neighbors, you're going to have to deal with some shame and rejection. What are you saying? Now, I want to ask you a little bit of a question about this, right? Um, what is life for? What is your life for? Um, you know, because we live in a prosperous and free society, every individual wakes up in America with something that all around the world and throughout history, <laughs> I don't know if you just, you just we take this for, utterly for granted, but all throughout the world and history, um, this is just a completely weird idea that you can wake up and you can have your own individual dreams. You can, um, I, I was actually listening to uh, one of the great sportscasters of all time. His name is Al Michaels. And I don't know if, I mean, you guys might be a little young, but Al Michaels literally calls everything. <laughs> he calls football, baseball, Olympics, you name a very important sports event literally over like the last 50 years, Al Michaels has called it. And, he, and in this thing, he was talking about how he grew up dreaming of doing this, and it happened. Okay. Isn't that crazy? And this is what American kids are taught. You can be president. You can be Steve Jobs. You can change the world. So kids go off to college thinking, not just that I'm just going to get a good job and live in the suburbs, I'm going to change the world. Like something like that, right? But what if maybe... That's, there's something skewed about that. And suffering is not kind of in the plan. <laughs> Rejection is not in the plan. Uh, but what we're finding out, and this is you know, a big discussion in our society, is that the world is set that some people have power and some people don't. And some people 
who have power don't use that power in a fair or just manner. And today, a lot of the people who have power are saying, kind of like the Romans did. If you don't follow the way we think it's just and right, we will shame you. We will shame you. Now, thankfully, there's nobody getting tortured and <laughs> nailed up, naked, people out there spitting on it. But, but instead, what there is is there's just hatred through like social media. It's, it's more like that. And your name is considered just a total pariah and your reputation could be ruined and you might not get certain kinds of jobs. And so this career that you thought you would have, it's kind of like hanging in the balance. Your dream of what you thought you had, it's kind of hanging in the balance. Even just living a nice life where you get a certain kind of income and so forth, it feels like it's hanging in the balance. That's kind of the cost of today. But there's this, this question of shame. But I want to ask you this, this other thing. If this is all that the world really is, I want, to, I, want to, I want to ask you, isn't the world then just kind of a gigantic cage? It's just a big cage. You can go out the universe, you can go out the world, but there's animals living inside of a cage. And then some of those animals get to be the big animals, and they dictate who keeps the peace. And in Jesus' time, those are the Romans. Those are the Romans. And then just underneath the Romans, there are a set of Jewish leaders. And within their ethnicity, they were sort of like the second biggest animals that can decide you could be shamed and kicked out and, and, and shoved into the bad corner of the cage. And then you won't have, you know, you won't have your comforts. But it's, it's not even just money. It's that all the other animals in the cage will reject you and hate you and shame you. Is that the world? Is that the world? And in this world, we have to kind of like navigate to avoid the big animals and make sure we don't get shamed. And then we can, get our, we can keep our careers and we can get our happiness. And, and that's the purpose of life, getting your happiness. Is it? Now, this is supposed to be a really joyous day, and I'm, I'm kind of coming on like in this. But I want to ask you this really pointed question, because if you can wrestle with this question, you're, I'm offering you a pathway out of the cage. <laughs> and Because if you live in the cage, you'll never be free. And the other animals will own you. <laughs> because your happiness inside the cage is, is your life. That's the most important thing. But if that is the most important thing to you, the other animals in the cage, they own you. And then the way they're their weapon of shame and rejection, that's like, that, that's a, that, that's, you'll just be so afraid of that, that when they put that weapon over your head, when they put that threat over you, you and I will conform and we'll cave. Now let me offer you um, something better. Okay, so here's part two now. Here's what the gospel says. Jesus says, I'm coming to get rejected. <laughs> Even his closest disciples who spent all this time with him, they don't get it. <laughs> 2,000 years later, we still don't get it. 
Now, what I want to do is offer you, there's some people who I think got it. And I'm not talking about 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about 50 years ago or 60 years ago or still something very modern. And so I've been reading this book. It's called Live Not by Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. as people who don't agree with the, the going way. They don't agree with the most powerful animals in the cage. Let's put it that way. And so the, the author is Rod Dreher, D-R-E-H-E-R. And Rod Dreher is a Christian. Um, he's, he's actually Eastern Orthodox in his theology. He's not evangelical nor Catholic. And he was listening to, um, you know, he, he listened to this person on the radio in a, in a, in a callback. And this person was um, a person who used to live in, in the communist lands. I think this person was from Czechoslovakia. Today, I don't even know if they even call it, I think they call it the Czech Republic, and they don't even call it Czechoslovakia anymore. But when I was growing up, it was called Czechoslovakia, okay? And this person over the radio was saying that America was starting to feel like her communist country. That's what she was saying. And he was like, what? This is America. And so what he began to do, and, and he just got this gut feeling that there's something more here than just some kind of crazy old lady who's kind of angry at America. She sees something, maybe she sees something that we Americans aren't seeing. And so what he began to do is he started looking around and asking around people who lived in the former communist countries. Now, a lot of you guys are kind of young, okay? This is a relatively young church. I'm almost 50 years old. I grew up in the Cold War. So let me just say a little something about communism. Here's what communism is. The government owns everything. There is no free trade. There is no private property. And the government says they will make everything equal and fair and just for everyone. And so... As long as you conform to the government's party line. As long as the government's party line. And they don't just say, we're politics. Because, of course, they don't believe in the separation of, of religion from the government. There, they completely believe, what do you mean? Religion is the state. The state is religion. And our religion is we're going to make the world completely healed because we know how to make us have a great brotherhood. That's communism. Hmm. Let me put a little bit of this for you. Communism is religion. Communism is politics. It is politics that is religion. Completely. Completely. And it was horrendous. Hmm. You did not have a free say. If you disagreed, you would... <laughs> They, some, some of the countries still had churches and some of them didn't. But if you went to church, they would have uh, spies from the secret police in the church. Your pastor might be a member of the secret police in the church. So if you go to church, you're like, should I even be here? Two, if you said the wrong thing politically, not theologically, politically, somebody inside your church might snitch on you, and next thing you know, your dad is being hauled off to prison. That's a completely normal feature of communism. Whether you're in Poland 
or in East Germany, or in Russia, or Czechoslovakia. It's just a, just a little brief history lesson. Now, I've been reading this book. And obviously, America's not quite there, but when, you're, when your culture starts telling you they know what's moral and what's right, and it's politics, but it doesn't feel just like politics. And they're telling you what's just, and you have to conform it's, you know, they're not going to throw you in prison in America, at least not yet. But this is kind of what they're talking about. And what I want to offer you is just a couple of things from this book, and then I'm going to close with the gospel. Okay? And um, I, I just, this has been such a compelling and beautiful read for me. And I'm almost toward the end, and I almost wish it was. It's like the first half of the book is good. And I was telling my wife this morning, the second half gets better and better. So I want to tell you two things. Um, there's a family that he celebrates called the Benda family. They're, these are really well-educated people, Dr. Benda. And um, they saw the controls coming, and they saw that it was a threat to their freedom and their faith. And what they began to do is turn their, their house into a celebration of all that was good from God. Not just faith but music and literature, and they would, they, they would then train their children to live not inside the cage. Don't live in the cage. And so, uh, you know, later on, his, the father was thrown into prison. The, um, Dr. Bender was thrown into prison. And later on, his son shared some of this. So this is, here's the two things I want to share with you. Here's one. In one, there was a bunch of letters that his father wrote. In one of the letters, he tells us how being in prison gave him new insight into the Gospels. This is what the father learned when he was in prison. He talks about how Jesus said in his passion, Not my will, but thy will be done, Father. My dad's letter shows how he believed that he was giving testimony by suffering persecution, by rejection. This helped us all to understand the example of the Lord. Dad believed that even though things were bad and he was suffering, that he didn't see, and that he didn't see positive consequences from his actions in the current time, there was a good God who will eventually win the battle. See, we're not in a cage. There's a God who's going to win the battle. One of the Bender daughters said this, God will eventually win, even though I may not see it in my life. So my suffering is not meaningless because I am part of a greater battle that will be victorious in the end. This is what our Father showed us by His life. I want to show you one more quote, and let's go to, I'm going to close. Actually, I wrote it down here. It talked about the importance of what you believe. Now, if you're here today or you're watching on our, our live stream and you don't yet consider yourself a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you, what do you believe? Is your life just an 80-year life and you live in a gigantic cage? That's the same. That's, I'm just describing secularity. The world is just secular. There's no heaven and hell. There's no God. There's no resurrection. There's no forgiveness. That's it. There's just a cage. That's all secularity is. It's just a gigantic cage. And here's what 
Here's what some other folks said after he, he talked to a bunch of other people. He said this. Not every anti-communist dissident was a Christian. And not every Christian living under communist totalitarianism resisted. But here's an interesting thing. Every single Christian I interviewed for this book in every ex-communist country, this is Roger talking, conveyed a sense of deep inner peace. A peace that they credit to their faith, which gave them ground to stand firm. They're being rejected. They're, they're literally in like a cage of, of prison, like the cage, they're in a cage. And yet they have peace. This is the way Dr. Bender was too. They could shame me on the outside, but on the inside, no. They had every right to be permanently angry over what had been done to them, to their families, their churches, and their countries. If they were, it didn't show. Isn't that interesting? They weren't bitter. A former prisoner of conscience in Russia told me that Christians need to have a golden dream, something to live for, a conception of hope. There it is, hope. You can't simply be against everything bad. You have to be for something good. Otherwise, you can get really dark and crazy. That's what this person said. I want to urge you today, don't just be against something bad. Don't just be on one side of the politics or the other, angry about something bad. We must see there's something truly good. This is the core of what genuine faith brings to anti, you know, like just controlling, controlling shaming. It offers you a reason to die. <laughs> Which is to say, a reason to live. With whatever suffering the powerful animals dish to you. Now I want to close with this passage. Since we are so surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, every sin, either our sin or the sins done to us, which cling so closely. And instead, let us look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, you see, he endured shame and rejection because there was a joy. There was a kingdom. There was a people. There was a freedom. There was a joy. There was a hope. That he knew he would conquer sin and death. He would conquer shame and rejection. And he would offer it to so many whom he loved so they could live a better life. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know he's never going to lose that throne? He's risen. You know, it doesn't matter who's going to be in power today or tomorrow. There was the Romans, and then there's going to be the next empire and the next empire. Whoever's in power today, they'll be gone tomorrow. Whoever is in power to death, they'll be gone tomorrow. But Jesus is risen and he'll never lose that throne. And his honor and his pleasure over you is yours forever. If you're ashamed and if you're rejected by this world inside the cage, you can always know Jesus is never going to lose that throne. <laughs> he 
He's risen. He's ours. We're his. Live like the Bendis. Live like them. And let's offer this greater freedom to our neighbors in a dark time. Let's pray and go to the table of the Lord. Lord, we um, are so easily scared today. And we confess to you that we often are very fixated upon our money and our career and our names and our reputation. But thank you, Lord, that even though yours is the greatest name that ever is or ever will be, you allowed yourself to be spit upon and rejected so that your death and all your shame would swallow up any that we are fearful of. And on this day, as we go to your death and your resurrection, as we go to your table, may we eat of your courage and remember that you are on the throne forever and ever. And let us live like our brothers and sisters who lived in a much harsher and a much darker time. And even if our times and our culture gets dark, may we live with their kind of hope, the kind offered by your victory, Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name.